Welcome to Southside Presbyterian Church. The following sermon was taken from our Sunday gathering. If you'd like to find out more, or if we can help you on your journey in faith, head to our website, www.southsidepc.org, or visit us any Sunday morning at 9am. Today's Bible reading um, is from 1 Samuel chapter 10, verses 17 to 27. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mizpah and said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God, who saves you out of all of your disasters and calamities. And you have said, No, appoint a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Gen- Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matrit's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. They ran and brought him out, and as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There was no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, long live the king. Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people to go to their own homes. Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. But some scoundrels said, how can this fellow save us? They despised him and brought him no gifts, but Saul kept silent. Thanks so much, guys. All right, before we dig into God's Word this morning, let's uh, pray once more. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your Word. Thank you that you've given it to us to learn from. Uh, Lord, as we learn from you today, um, sometimes we can you know, find things that are difficult to deal with or bring up painful memories. Um, Lord, we just ask for your wisdom and your strength as we wrestle with these issues. Um, yeah, Lord, so please fill us with your spirit, give us understanding, and be with us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, the other day, uh, my wife, Adriana, and I, we were reminiscing about our first car. It was a silver Camry Sportivo, and when we got it, we were so excited about it. Uh, even though the steering was a bit wobbly, and you couldn't see out the back window, also the armrests were caving in, and I don't think it had ever been serviced. Uh, in fact, <laughs> the first time we took it to a mechanic, they literally opened the hood and just started laughing. Uh, but we loved the car. As far as we were concerned, this was a game changer. And the freedom we felt was incredible. Finally, we could drive around like everyone else we knew. No more making plans around the bus timetable, we could make our own timetables. If we wanted to leave somewhere early, we could just jump in our ride and go. And at Adriana's next birthday, you can bet our plans involved that car. We were going to go on a picnic, 
at a park we found that was driving distance away. So we packed up the car with all our supplies, blanket, cushions, camping stove. Uh, we drove to the shops, found a great parking spot, and we bought all the best picnic food we could think of, like meats and cheeses and cold appetizer. Uh, we threw it all in the car and got in for the final leg of the journey. I turned the key and nothing. No lights, no little sputter of the engine, nothing. This car that we'd poured all of our hopes and dreams into had become a giant silver paperweight full of cheese getting warmer and warmer. We felt so let down and we had no idea what to do or where to turn. It's amazing how easily something so simple can let you down and how crushing it feels when it happens. When I turned that key and got nothing, our plans unraveled and our day was nearly ruined. Now, we've all had an experience like this where something lets us down and it hurts. But it's not usually things like cars or appliances that let us down, it's people. And that's when it can really hurt. Most of us at some time have felt the pain of believing in someone and counting on them only to be disappointed. Like when a politician says they'll do all these great things for their people and then they fail to keep those promises. Or sometimes we have co-workers who we can't rely on to get the job done and then we have to pick up the slack. Uh, it could even be a close friend, uh, someone who you trusted with something personal and then they told someone else about it. Whoever it is, when people let us down, it can really hurt and it leads to a lot of pain. So what do we do with this? What's the solution? Where do we turn when people let us down? Well, to find out, we're going to open our Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 17. We're back with the nation of Israel. Uh, they're about to face the problem of someone letting them down. So let's read. Samuel summoned the people of Israel to the Lord at Mitzpah and said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I brought Israel up out of Egypt, and I delivered you from the power of Egypt and all the kingdoms that oppressed you. But you have now rejected your God, who saves you out of all your disasters and your calamities. And you have said, No, appoint a king over us. So now present yourselves before the Lord by your tribes and clans. So what do we do when people let us down? Well, we'll see this as Israel rejects God and asks for a king. This, uh, this last couple of Sundays, we've looked at some of the incredible things that God was doing for His people. He sent them prophets. He installed priests. He gave them miracles and wrote laws for them. He saved them from slavery. He's demonstrated His power over and over and literally made them the nation they are today. He's been nothing but good and faithful to Israel, and now they decide to reject Him. And what's more, they ask Him to appoint a king. How does this make any sense? In earlier chapters, they actually say they want a king such as the other nations have. See, they've seen the other nations with their human kings. They've seen them sitting on their impressive thrones with their expensive crowns leading armies of loyal soldiers. They've seen all this, and that's the kind of king that they want. It looks a bit childish. 
kind of like when I was a kid, um, I always wanted whatever my friends had. I'd see my friends with their fancy new toys or later on their expensive clothes, and I'd think, I want some of that. Sometimes I'd even think I wanted my friend's parents because they let them do whatever they asked, whether it was good for them or not. Now, I was just a kid. I didn't know much. Um, but Israel, when we read the books that come before First Samuel, one thing is made pretty clear. Israel is supposed to be different from the other nations. They are God's chosen people. It feels pretty ominous. And this is how we begin. Israel rejects God. They say they want a king. So what's God going to do? Is He going to give them the king they asked for? Well, we read from verse 20, When Samuel had all Israel come forward by tribes, the tribe of Benjamin was taken by Lot. Then he brought forward the tribe of Benjamin, clan by clan, and Matri's clan was taken. Finally, Saul, son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further to the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yes, he has hidden himself among the supplies. So what kind of king does Israel get? Well, they're casting lots, which is basically rolling dice. And the dice say that, first of all, the new king will be from the tribe of Benjamin. This is a huge letdown for Israel for a couple of reasons. Firstly, way back at the end of Genesis, we're told that a great king is going to come from the line of Judah. And if this guy's from Benjamin, he can't be that great king. And secondly, Benjamin had some pretty bad press lately. See, back in Judges, there was an attack in a Benjaminite town, and this attack was so gruesome, it actually sparked a retaliation from all the other tribes of Israel. About 70,000 people died as a result, and Benjamin was left with very few men and a very bad reputation. So, hearing that the new king would be some guy from Benjamin is really disappointing. But they still want that shiny new king like all the other nations have. So, who's it going to be? They roll the dice, and it's this guy, Saul, son of Kish. But wait a minute. Where is Saul? He's not there. No one can find him. He's just been declared king of Israel, and he's nowhere to be seen. Now, this is just so wrong. I mean, think of it happened today. In fact, we just had a new king crowned in the UK, and can you imagine being at the coronation with the red carpets and the chandeliers? I'm not sure what they have. And the master of ceremony calls out something like, presenting his royal highness, King Charles III, and then you look and the king's not there. What kind of king doesn't show up to accept the title? You'd think it was some kind of joke. Yet in Samuel, this is exactly what's happening. And it's not like he just didn't hear them. It says they looked for him, but he was nowhere to be found. They got so desperate to find this guy, they actually had to ask God where he was. And God tells them, he has hidden himself among the supplies. The king has hidden himself. Talk about childish. It doesn't say what kind of supplies these are, but I imagine a big pile of luggage, and he's made himself like a little suitcase fort. No girls allowed. Uh, Or maybe there's a bunch of giant urns, and he's standing behind one with his head sticking over the top. Either way, it feels pretty silly. 
and it definitely doesn't sound very kingly. This is the king they're getting today, a guy from an unremarkable house, from the smallest and least like tribe, who, when called by God to rule his people, was hiding away like a child. What's this king going to be like? And how are the people going to receive him? Well, we can see in verse 23, they ran and brought him out, and as he stood among the people, he was a head taller than any of the others. Samuel said to all the people, do you see the man the Lord has chosen? There is no one like him among all the people. Then the people shouted, long live the king. So how do they receive the king? Well, it looks like they're still really hopeful about him. They found him, they've got him out of the supplies, they stood him in front of everyone so they can see how tall he is. I think it's pretty weird that they make a big deal of his height. Um, You'd think they'd want to mention his wisdom or his kindness, but no, it's his height that makes him impressive. Maybe they bring it up because the kings of the other nations are also tall, I don't know. So, Israel's found their new king. He looks great, and they've all got really high hopes for his reign. And they express their great expectations by shouting, long live the king, they're praising this guy. They think he's going to be reliable, and they want him around for a long time. And the show goes on. In verse 25, it says, Samuel explained to the people the rights and duties of kingship. He wrote them down on a scroll and deposited it before the Lord. Then Samuel dismissed the people to go to their own homes. And with that, Israel's got the king they wanted. It's all official. He's been through the ceremony, and now they have a king just like all the other nations. It's done. They can all go home. Saul heads back to his hometown, Gibeah, uh, which is the location of that massacre we mentioned before. And as they're leaving, someone asks the question, how can this fellow save us? Now, this is a pretty valid question. And it's not the sort of thing you want to hear about a brand new king. The passage ends, they despised him and brought him no gifts, but Saul kept silent. So to recap, Israel rejects God, says they want a king. God chooses Saul to be king of Israel, and Saul hides from the people. This is their human leader, the one that they chose to put their faith in instead of God. This is the king they deserve. And how is it going to work out for Israel? Well, it's off to a pretty rocky start, not the smoothest of coronations, but surely it'll get better from here. I mean, on the one hand, it looks bad. Saul's from Benjamin, not Judah. He hid from the people, and they're already questioning his leadership. But on the other hand, he was chosen by God. He's very tall, and he looks a lot like what a king should look like. He can pull it together from here, right? Well, he doesn't. He ends up being a pretty disappointing king overall. In fact, it's only a couple of chapters later that Samuel ends up rebuking Saul for not following God's commands. He had all the rules written down for him, and he messed up, letting down his people. So much for Israel's great king. But hey, maybe the next guy will be better. His name's David. Uh, He's from the tribe of Judah. We're expecting a great king to come from Judah. This could be him. They call him a man after God's own heart. Uh, He's merciful and faithful, but also strong and courageous. Maybe he won't let us down. But David messes up too, and Israel's disappointed again. 
And then Solomon comes along, and he's wise and rich. Maybe we can put our hopes in him. But again, Solomon fails, and Israel is let down. And the list of disappointing kings gets longer and longer. And have you noticed, this is something we keep doing today. Just like Israel did, we tend to put our hopes in other people who let us down. I mentioned politicians before, and it's hard to think of one that doesn't have some major public misstep on their record. Whichever side of politics you personally fall on, I think we can all agree that so far none of them really represent the perfect king we've been waiting for. In celebrity news, uh, we're always hearing about some new big scandal, and usually it doesn't really affect us directly, but if that celebrity is someone we admire, someone we've put our hopes in, it can feel like we were personally betrayed, and the pain becomes real. But maybe you're even more down to earth, and you put your hopes in those around you. We actually read in the Bible, part of being in the church means we should be guiding and supporting each other, building each other up. But these people that we look up to, our friends, our families, our bosses, pastors, even our spouses, all of them have the potential to let us down. It's never easy when they do. And the more hope we have in them, the greater the pain is when they disappoint us. Being let down by people is always hard, and it always hurts. I've been through this myself. Um, I have ADHD, and in trying to get help for it, I've ended up going to a lot of different doctors over the years. <clears throat> and it was only this year, when I met my latest doctor, that I realized a pretty painful cycle I'd been going through. He asked me about my medical history, and I had to tell him about all my doctors, one by one, and the story I ended up telling him was one where I find a new doctor, and they'd seem great, and I'd really get my hopes up, only to be let down. I think, this one can help me, this one will be the last one I need, and without fail, every one of them would leave me disappointed. Now, you may not have had this exact experience, but we've all felt the sting of being let down by someone in one way or another. It's always hard, and it always hurts. So what do we do with this? Who can we turn to that won't let us down? And what do we do with all the pain of being disappointed by people? We've already seen in this series how Jesus fulfills the role of prophet in that He brings God's Word to His people. And we've seen how Jesus is the perfect priest in the way He brings us to God. But Jesus is also the perfect King who rules and reigns. And how does this help us? How does Jesus as King make everything better? Why is He the King that we need? Well, there's three reasons. The first is that Jesus is the King who is reliable. He doesn't hide like Saul did. He showed up when it was time to go to the cross. And unlike every other King in history, Jesus never messed up. Everything He did while on earth, He did in perfect love and in obedience to God the Father. Not one mistake. We can put our hopes in Him, because He will never let us down. In Isaiah 49, we read, Then you will know that I am the Lord, 
Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. Jesus is the promised king from the line of Judah, the one we've been waiting for. He is reliable. The next thing is, Jesus is the king who understands. When we think about people letting us down and and causing us pain, uh, we can remember that Jesus went through the same kind of pain. Now, he faced some real darkness during his life here. He felt the pain of betrayal when his friend Judas turned him over to be killed. He was let down by Peter, his disciple, who denied knowing him three times. And in the end, he was sentenced to death by his own people, the ones that he came to save. Jesus knows the pain of disappointment. He's with you in your suffering. When we're really hurting, having someone who understands us is such a blessing. The pain doesn't always go away, but knowing someone is with you can make it easier to get through. The psalmist writes, Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Jesus sees you, he understands your pain, and he wants to comfort you. And the last thing, the reason we should turn to Jesus, is that he is the king who redeems. When we think of a good king, we often think of someone who protects his people from harm and makes good choices, and that's, that's correct. But with Jesus, it's even more than that. See, he can take a terrible thing and turn it into something good. When Jesus died on the cross, the people that killed him were doing evil, real evil. The the pain they inflicted was real and severe. But Jesus took that terrible, terrible day and made it into his greatest victory. In dying, he paid for our sins to save everyone who believes in him. See, Jesus can use pain for his good purposes. He can use all the evil of this world to bring about his perfect kingdom. He can redeem it. So when people hurt us, even though it's really hard right now, and we might not see justice in this life, we can know that Jesus will make it right in the next life, in heaven. We can know that our pain is not in vain, and that it's not without purpose, and it's not forever. As the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Jesus is the King we need because He will never let us down, He feels our pain, and He has the power and the desire to take it away. And what this means for us is actually pretty simple. When people let us down, we can turn to the King. When people let us down, King Jesus is waiting to comfort us, to make things right, and to bring us into His kingdom. King Jesus sees your pain and knows how to bring something good out of it. We don't need to put our hopes into anyone else. God has chosen a perfect, everlasting King for us, and He is reliable like no one else ever could be. Long live the King. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of your Son. Thank you that we have a perfect King who we can turn to in everything. 
thank you that you have promised to make everything right in the next life. And thank you for the comfort you give us in this life. Please be with us as we go about our weeks. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.